But we're going to spend our entire day today in Romans chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, you might open them there. Uh, if you have your smartphone or device and you've got your Bible in there, go ahead and open that up. If you don't have either of those, I'd still love you to read along with us. So grab one of these Bibles off the floor. It's page 788 in this Bible, Romans chapter 10, 788. And if you don't own a Bible or you don't have one that you can read, please take this with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to be reading along with us. How many of you like the game charades? Anybody like to play charades? Yeah? Yeah, everybody knows how it works, right? You know, you, you have a word or a phrase or a movie title or a song or whatever, and you act it out without using words. Now, some people cheat, and they use words, but you're not supposed to use words. That's the idea, right? So you act something out, and it's a great way to get to know people. You get to know people's cultural context when you play charades with them because you know what movies they know and what movies they don't know, right, what songs they know, and they've never heard of that song, and you can't believe it. And then there's always... I think every time we've played it, there's, when we played it with a big group, there's always one moment where it gets a little bit awkward because there's one couple that gets angry with one another because she couldn't believe that he didn't guess the movie. Like, I can't believe you didn't know that was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. This is clearly me opening a golden ticket, right? Or I, I did the Oompa Loompa dance and I did the whole turnaround thing. I can't believe it. And then it like devolves into an argument. Well, Charades can be fun. It can be a great way to get to know people. But how would you like it if you had to communicate the more important things in life with charades? Like if you're at a restaurant and you could only order food using charades. Like, like a, a, a large pizza, right, and a tea. That's what I want. That would be a little awkward. Or if you had to tell the doctor what was wrong using charades. Like, like liver? No. Door? No. Okay, it's your large intestine. You know, and you have to tell the doctor what's going on, it would be really hard, right? Or like, what if you had a teenager and your teenager only communicated with you using, never mind, that's a terrible analogy because most teenagers don't talk to their parents, right? (laughs) Not that I'm bitter about that. Um, Charades is fun. It's a great way, uh, like I said, to get to know people, but we wouldn't want to communicate the more important things in life. And, And how much more true is that when we're talking about our faith? When you talk about your faith, you want to be able to use the language that God has given us to communicate the good news of Jesus. We're in this series. We're continuing this series called Bad Coffee Mugs. And what we're doing is we're looking at four statements that a lot of Christians believe, that Christians often repeat, that sound like they should be Christian sayings, but really aren't. They're the kinds of things that we often print on bumper stickers or t-shirts or, yes, even coffee mugs. And, and we're holding these up next to Scripture uh, to see if Scripture proves them true. Like we're, we're comparing them to the word of God. And if you're a Christian, that's what you should do. What we said during this series is anytime you hear something that seems to reflect God or something about his character, what you need to do is hold it next to scripture to see if it holds water. In fact, uh, because that's true, we've said this, Ben Krause said this last week, I love this. He says, as disciples of Jesus, we have to look to scripture and allow its truth to form and shape our lives. And so today, I want to look at this coffee mug right here. It says, Preach the gospel of, at all times. Use words when necessary. And this is a uh, phrase that's commonly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, certainly someone who has far more spiritual knowledge and prestige than I have. But what I want to do is hold this up next to Scripture and see if this is really a scriptural saying. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Now, I understand the heart behind this saying. In fact, uh, Kevin Russell hit on this a couple of weeks ago when he was here. He talked about the call in Colossians 1 for us as Christians to live a life worthy of the Lord 
and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So there's something about our lives that should show good works, right? That we should live a life that's worthy of the calling we receive. In fact, one of the things said about the very first Christians, if you read Acts chapter 2, was that they were held in high esteem by everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. Acts 2.47 says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people, that there was something about in this culture, that there was something about this culture they were in that made them look different, their lives look different, right? We're also told throughout Scripture that if we are in Christ, that our lives should bear fruit, right? Should bear fruit that's visible on the outside. We're even told specifically that we should bear fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Things that when you look at our lives, they should look different than the rest of the world because the rest of the world doesn't always have those things, right? That we should, there's no doubt for those of us who are in Christ, our lives should look noticeably different, okay, than the lives of other people in our culture. But friends, I'm here to tell you today, when the rubber meets the road, and it comes to saving someone for eternity, when it comes to preaching the gospel, words will always be necessary. Words will always be necessary. We're gonna, let's take a look at this passage from Romans 10. Uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the province of Rome. And uh, then I want to unpack a little bit about what it means for us uh, today. Romans 10 verse 9 starts like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're not a Christian today, that is what you came to hear. All right, you may think that you were dragged in here by some family member or some friend that wanted you to come to church. You, you may have found a car. Maybe you were just driving by and something told you to pull into the parking lot this morning because there were other cars here. But whatever the reason is that you're here, that's why the Lord has you here. You need to hear that said that if you uh, don't already have a relationship with Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in, his, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you're not a Christian and you've heard that, you can go. All right, you've had what you need for the day. But Paul continues, verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Boy, that is a powerful sentence we don't have time to get into, but that is a lot right there. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Paul is quoting the Old Testament there, but that is good news. In fact, that is the good news. The the very word gospel that's on this mug, preach the gospel, that very word gospel means good news. And so if the gospel that you grew up hearing or that you've been preached in another church somewhere is you can work harder to earn favor with God, that's not good news, right? If the, if the gospel that you've heard is that you can try harder or you can do better, that's not good news. If, if, if you think you're finished with a job and somebody tells you you still got work to do, that's not good news. But Jesus declares the good news that it is finished, that when he hung on the cross, he did all the work that's necessary to save us for eternity. That's why it's the gospel. That's why it's good news. We have this heavenly father who's waiting for us to call on his name. Paul continues, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Now follow this logic. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one who they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Paul turns that corner. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, and this is what we're going to focus on today, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. And that word, word, the word, word right there, as in word about Christ, that word is actually the Greek word, rhema, that Paul says, which means uttered by the voice. And so he's talking about the spoken word of God. He's not talking about the written word of God. He's very specific. He's talking about the spoken word of God, Paul says, that brings people to Christ. It is the spoken word of God that brings people to Christ. Now, is that saying that no one ever comes to faith by any other means? No, God is so big and so powerful, he can bring anyone to faith by any means necessary, okay? But what Paul is doing, what the author is doing, is he is laying out a very logical sequence for how people are normally going to be saved, how they're normally going to come to faith in Christ. And he says, what's going to happen is somebody's going to be sent, and they're going to preach, and then someone's going to hear, and their faith comes through hearing. So that's the big idea for today. If you're a follower of Jesus, is it important to live a life of integrity? Sure it is, absolutely. Should you meet people where they are? Should you cultivate relationships with people that live around you, that work with you, that are in your school, that are in your apartment complex, your neighborhood? Yes. Yes, you should. Should you love people well? Should you put other people's needs above your own? Should you generally live a life that reflects the life of Christ? Yes, absolutely, for sure. But probably no one's going to come to faith in Jesus because you didn't order a beer at dinner when everybody else was drinking it. Probably nobody's going to say, thanks for bringing this, me this meal. I think I want to know more about Jesus. There's important things that happen with our actions and with our works, but when it comes to preaching the gospel, words will always be necessary. And so my thought today was um, when I started preparing this message earlier this week, uh, maybe last Sunday, I thought, so I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes pounding into everybody's head that you have to use words to preach the gospel. And so then I prayed about that, and uh, I think the Lord showed me that wasn't a very good idea. Because what he said was, Steve, do you trust the people of your church? And I said, yes, I trust almost everybody in our church. And he said, uh, he said they all know they're, what they're supposed to do, but not everybody knows how to do it. And so uh, as I was praying, I thought, you know what, we need to talk about how to effectively share your faith with someone, how to share the gospel with someone. And so today, I want to look, I gave you in your notes, if you got them when you walked in or if you have the app, four steps to effectively share your faith. If you're a Christian, um, this could be really valuable and practical for you. And if you're not a Christian, what you're going to do is you're going to, like, it's like stealing the playbook for the other side, all right? So you're going to find out what your neighbor's up to with inviting you to church. Four ways to effectively share your faith. These are in your notes. Number one is this, you need to pray for the lost. This is so elementary. You need to know, first of all, when I talk about lost people, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm talking about you. And if you're offended by that, um, what you need to know is that Jesus often compared people who didn't have a relationship with God to things that were lost. In fact, he tells several stories in the New Testament where people who didn't know God were compared to a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. And so Jesus said these people aren't bad people. They're just lost. They're not where they're supposed to be. And, and as a follower of Jesus, you, it's pretty certain that you have lost people in your life. 
Have you prayed for them? Have you prayed for them by name? I mean, maybe you're even cultivating a relationship with them. You're, you go to lunch with them. You play cards with them. You play golf with them. Your, your kids play with their kids. But have you prayed for them? This is so important. In fact, Paul, it's so important that Paul starts this part of his letter with this statement. Look at Romans 10.1. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. And so what you need to know about this is Paul is praying. He's writing this letter to the church in the province of Rome. So these are Christians that are in the province of Rome. There are people uh, that are Israelites living around this church. He's praying that they would be saved. He's praying for the, the church in this culture where following Jesus isn't the norm. The, the, the church is surrounded by a culture um, that is pretty wild uh, pretty out there, doesn't really accept the teachings of Jesus, and it was almost hostile to the teaching of Jesus. And in fact, what we see in Romans is that it became very easy for the people of the church to just blend in with their surroundings, that, that it was hard to d- distinguish the Christians from the non-Christians. Now, how do I know this? Well, because in Romans 12, Paul says, you need to be careful not to be conformed to the ways of the world, but instead, let your mind be transformed by the teachings of Jesus. And so he's saying, it's so easy, isn't it so easy? I'm talking about our culture now, to get sucked in to where our life looks just like the culture around us. Because we live in a culture that, in a lot of cases, is hostile to what we believe. If you're a Christian, your culture is hostile to what you believe. It's so similar to the culture in Rome. And so what Paul is saying is, my sincere prayer is for the people that they would be saved. That's where we should start too. Paul starts by praying for the people. We should start by praying for the people. There are people in our life that need to know the saving power of a relationship with Jesus. We have to pray for them by name on a regular basis, not just once, but keep their name, keep a list, keep a journal, uh, keep a prayer card, uh, write a note in your phone or on your tablet or however you do it, but keep a running list of people in your life that need to know Jesus that you are praying for. And on a regular basis, when you are talking to your heavenly father, bring them up by name and pray boldly that they would be saved. This has become so important to me that um, I won't usually even talk to anybody about Jesus unless I've prayed for them specifically by name first. Because what I found is that my efforts in leading people to Christ are futile. Now, maybe I'm a nitwit compared to some of you. Uh, Maybe you guys have more experience at it. You're better at it than I am. But I have found that out of my own strength, I can't make anybody follow Jesus. But when I pray for them, I find that their hearts have sometimes been softened. And um, inside the context of prayer, it's so much easier to lead somebody to Christ. In fact, Bill Bright, who's the founder of Crew, uh, which is the largest missionary sending organization in the world, said this, the divine order is first talk to God about men, then talk to men about God. He said, prayer is the place where people are one to Christ. Witnessing is just gathering the results of prayer. Wow, isn't that good? Now, what if you're a Christian, what if you don't have any lost people around you? Open your eyes. Open your eyes. They are everywhere. Ask God to show you. There are people all around you that need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And I promise the Lord will show you where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where your kids play. 
or even in your own family, people that need to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So then what? After you pray for them, pray for the lost, it's time uh, to do what's next. What's next, too, is this. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Many of us, when somebody is, is lost and we're desperate, we know they need our help or they, they need God's help, right? But we, we kind of force ourselves into a situation, don't we? We kind of do it on our schedule. We decide in our hearts, today's the day. I'm going to go talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to make them a meal or I'm going to bake them a cookie or whatever. And we, hey, hey, would you like a cookie? Hey, would you like to know the saving power of a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, and we kind of force ourselves. How awkward a situation can you put yourself in when you just try to do it on your own time and your own schedule, right? Instead of that approach, might I suggest one where you're listening to the Holy Spirit, where you're like trying to be in step with work that he's already doing in somebody, right? Where you come alongside God and be available for when he calls you to share. And if you put yourself in the right situations with the right people enough times, he will call you to share. Look back at Romans 10, 15. It says this, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? When you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, when you hang around lost people, you will eventually be sent to talk to them about your faith. And you can't really plan on for when because that neighbor that you've been working for two years to cultivate with a relationship with might have a tragedy that happens in their life and all of a sudden they remember that you have something that they don't have and they want to talk about it. And you're busy mowing the lawn or chasing kids or doing whatever it is that you do but you need to be sensitive in that moment to the Holy Spirit that this is the time that I have permission to talk to them about God. Or, or that person that you go to lunch with every Friday and your conversation never goes beyond about that deep and it's so frustrating because you know that you want to talk to them. But what one Friday, all of a sudden they open up with something that's going on in their life and you sense now's the time. They're open to talking about it. I need to tell them about Jesus. If you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, those kind of things would happen. So you can ask them that next question. Like, what might God be teaching you about this? Or how might God use this for good? You know, those kind of questions that just take that conversation the next level deeper. But if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you'll never know that. You'll just try to plan something and schedule something, and it doesn't always work like that. Man, I gotta be honest with you. Sharing your faith is hard. It is hard enough to share your faith. And some of you, probably all of you, many of you in this room have times that you've tried and it has not gone well. Some of you have people in your life that you know, you know you're supposed to reach for Christ and you've talked to them about it and they're like, nah, to the ah, to the no, no, no. They don't want to have any part of it. But just because you failed at that doesn't mean you're a failure. In fact, I've got a friend that says failure is an event, never a person that you are not a failure. You can fail at talking about your faith one time, but I heard this week, it takes the average person 12 times to hear the gospel before they come to faith in Christ, 12 times. And we all know somebody that came to faith on the first time, which means there are some of you that are way above average that are dragging the average up to 12. And some of the people that are in our lives are going to need to hear again and again and again and again and again. 12 times on average. But don't give up. But don't try to do it alone either. Look, if you're a Christian, just like Alyssa said earlier, if you're a Christian, God has placed his Holy Spirit inside you to live in you and to guide you. Now, Isaiah 30, 21 says it this way, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. 
God placed his spirit in you for a reason. Don't waste it. Don't ignore it. Follow him. In fact, I just saw this this week. I, this, this amazed me. Jesus' last command to his disciples before he left the earth. A lot of people think his last command was now go and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't his last command. He gave that after he died, before he ascended into heaven. But his last command, I just saw this this week in Acts 1, verse 4. Do you know what his last command to his disciples was? Wait. Isn't that great? He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. Don't go yet. Wait. Jesus seems to be saying, if you try to build God's kingdom without God's strength, you will just be frustrated. But wait here. I promised you the Holy Spirit. And when the time is right, you can go share it. He says in Acts 1-4, wait here for the gift I promised. And then in verse 1-8, he says, and then you will be my witnesses. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Okay, then after that happens, it's time to start talking. So what do we do next? Number three is this. Learn to tell your story. Learn to tell your story. I want you to think about something here. The reason that you have authority to speak into the lives of your friends, specifically you have authority to speak into your friends, is because they're your friends. You're writing this down? This is really good stuff. All right, here's what I'm saying. Your friends, your family, you know who they care about? They care about you. They care about them and they care about you. And so you have authority. Here's why this is important. Your friends, your coworkers, your family, your, your uh, fellow students, because they care about you, they care about what happens to you. And they care about what's happened to you. So the best way to reach them in a spiritual conversation is to share what God has done in your life. And so you've got to learn to tell your story. But I want to help you because there are people who do this better than anybody else in the world. And it's the people who sell us physical transformation. Have you ever thought about this? If you think about like a, 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 um, a weight loss plan like a Jenny Craig or a Nutrisystem, um, or you think about uh, the local gym or personal trainer, or you think about uh, plastic surgeons, what, what do they do? They always show you before and after pictures, right? They don't, they don't just tell you the process that you're going to go through because they know if they just started with the process you're going to go through, nobody would do that, right? If, if every Ginny Craig commercial was, come join us and you'll eat kale and ice chips for 12 weeks, nobody would do that, right? Nobody wants that in their life. If the, the local gym was like, come and lift heavy stuff over your head and sweat your butt off, I mean, it's like moving, but you don't get a new house at the end. Oh, hey, sign me up, you know? Or what about the like, plastic surgery for Botox? If, if it was, we're going to shoot food poisoning under your skin right next to your eyeball, sign me up. So what do they do instead? They show you a picture of what, this is what somebody looked like before, and this is what they look like after. And here's what they want to do. They want you to say, I look like the before picture, but I want to look like the after picture. And then they say, well, we can help you get there right? And so when you learn to tell your story, what you're doing is you're painting an effective before picture and showing them, hey, I was a lot like you, but look at what the Lord has done in my life. And because your friends and family care about you, they care about what, how God's transformed your life. And if you're a Christian, I hope that God has transformed your life. 
I hope that he's impacted you in a way that nothing else in your life ever has. And so what do your before and after God pictures look like? I'm not talking about physically now. I'm talking about spiritually. What does your before and after pictures look like? What was your life like before Christ? And what's it like now? Can you verbalize this? You need to be able to say this. You need to be able to verbalize this. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that word uh, translated here as give an answer is the Greek word apologia. Wow, we've actually had two Greek words today. We're going deep, aren't we? This is great. Apologia, you probably recognize that word. It means to clear yourself to defend yourself. In other words, Peter writes, if there is any hope in you, people are going to see that and they're going to ask about it. And when they do, you better be ready to tell them why you have that hope. You know, sometimes it's hard to see how much you've changed, isn't it? Like if you think again about physical transformation, if you look at yourself in the mirror every day, you can get frustrated with the fact that you're not changing. And same thing, same thing's true spiritually. Like if you, you uh, fall into a pattern that you thought you were past, right? Or you start to sin again and you think, why am I doing this? This is so stupid. I have Christ in my life. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. Why am I sinning right now? But what we never do is look back to who I used to be. And I think this used to be my regular habit, my regular form of behavior. And now it's so unusual that it makes me mad when I think about it. You don't realize how much you've changed from that time. So it's so important to have a before picture, in your head so you know this is what I was like before and this is what I am like now. In fact, when we do baptisms, we're doing baptisms in a couple weeks on May 1st, right here, we'll, we'll baptize some people. And two questions we always ask them are, what was your life like before Christ and what is it like now? And we, do the, we ask those questions for two reasons. One, it helps them to remember how God has transformed their life, that they, they have that hope again, that they know how that's worked. But the second thing is, there will be people, when people are baptized here, Uh, on Sunday, May 1st, there will be people in this auditorium watching them that will look just like their before picture. And we will be able to point them to some hope that in the future, if you accept Christ, if you allow his Holy Spirit to transform you, you can look like this after picture. Can you tell your story? Can you humbly and succinctly tell the story of what Christ has done in your life? Doesn't have to be everything, but anything works better than nothing at all. A number of years ago, we had uh, some family over, and one family member was talking in particularly not nice terms what she felt about Scripture, about the Bible. And I wasn't a pastor at the time, but my wife and I were both Christians, and she knew that. And she started talking about how can you believe this Bible? How can you believe these words? And um, what I wanted to do immediately was shut her down and just think, well, it doesn't matter what you think because I've got my faith. And then my second thought was, no, I need to put her in her place. Well, I knew that wasn't the right answer either. And so as I'm thinking through it, um, the Lord showed me, that's what you used to think. That's what you used to believe. Like she was my before picture. And I was able to, by God's grace and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I believe, to, to tell her, you know what, I used to believe the same thing. But then... Uh, I trusted this much of the Bible. In my case, it was with the resurrection. I had a preacher talk about the resurrection and how could it be true that a man could come back to life 
and all these people witness him coming back to life afterwards, and there's a lot behind that, and I'd love to talk to you about that, about how, oh, they couldn't have faked the resurrection because these guys went on to, have the, to die for their faith. These guys that would have been the ones that faked it went on to die for their faith, and then they couldn't have stolen the body because these, the be- Rome had the best guards there, and it's well recorded that when the tomb rolled away, it was like, when the stone rolled away, it was already empty, and I heard all this stuff, and my head was swimming, and I started doing all this research, and that's how I came to Christ, uh, um, through uh, a long series of events and teaching and things. But, but so I trusted like this part of the Bible. And then I started to realize, man, if you trust that, God's faithful with that. And he'll start to grow your trust. And, and so I would just tell her, hey, I trusted this much of the Bible and, and God was faithful. And so I trusted a little bit more and then he was faithful and I trusted a little bit more and he was faithful. And, and that's how I grew in my faith. Now, she does still not, does not have an after picture, right? This is still somebody that we are praying for, but in that moment, I was able to tell a little bit of my story, and it, it made it so that it was possible to have other conversations. You need to learn to tell your story, because here's what you'll find out. When you've done this enough, even if you think, man, my story's boring. There's nothing to share. You'll be amazed at how many people have a story like your story. I, I'm like everybody else. I love the stories of the, the deathbed transformation where somebody was about ready to commit suicide, or somebody was uh, in a deep drug coma, or they were, you know, whatever the story, I was in prison, and, and you rescued me, and I love those stories, but most of us that are Christians don't have those stories. We got a boring story, like it took me three years probably to come to faith in Christ. I'm not going to tell that whole story, but I know there are people all around me that are in the same place I used to be. There are people all around you that are in the same place that you used to be, and your story will be a blessing for them, and so when I'm talking with uh, successful businessmen. I used to be a successful businessman. I can tell them, hey, you know what? I used to be in your shoes, and I had a lot of people that worked for me, and I was making good money. And do you ever feel like, though, that like, there's got to be more to life than just earning money and buying stuff for your kids? Oh, yeah, I feel like that. You know, I used to feel like that, too. Let me tell you about that. You know, or, or uh, uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking to somebody who, you know, you know doesn't have faith, I can tell them about how when I didn't have faith or, or when I'm talking to somebody whose uh, parents got divorced and that gave them a bad picture of marriage. I can talk to them about how my parents got divorced when I was five and it gave me a bad picture of marriage and how the Lord brought me through that. And, and so you, we all have these little stories in our life that people can relate to. If you'd like some help developing your story, I want to share a tool with you. This is something, um, this is a one-page worksheet. It's called a salvation story worksheet. Our student team actually developed this, the, the adults that work with our students and it is one page, and it helps you develop a, f- a before and after picture along with a how you came to Christ. And it is so simple. It will help you. If you fill this out, you will have a one-minute version of your story that you can memorize and share with anybody. I- I've left a few of these at the Info Hub. If you want help with that, you can pick that up after the service because I just thought that was so brilliant. Uh, and most of us need help telling our story. You don't have to use that, but hopefully it will be helpful to you. So then... Then, only after you've done those three things, you've prayed for the people that are lost in your life, you've been sensitive to the Spirit, you've learned to tell your story, then you can learn to tell God's story. Now, this is where most of us start when we're trying to lead people to Christ. We want to go tell God's story. That's where street preachers start, right? It's where people who are sent out on witnessing trips start. They start with the story of the gospel. You know, it can sound something like this. Uh, If you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? I don't know why everybody dies at night, but that's always the question, right? If you die tonight. Or, or maybe it's, uh, do you think you can know God personally? 
Or how do you know uh, that you're going to end up in heaven? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these questions. I, I think I, I've seen people come to Christ through all of these circumstances, but I think they work much better in the context of relationship where you've prayed for somebody, you've been sensitive to the spirit to go talk to somebody and you've been open with them and shared your story first. See, when you learn to tell God's story, you need to do it in a compact and meaningful way. And there are lots of scriptures that I can point you to. You probably know some of them too, but just think about the ways that we can tell the good news, the gospel, God's story uh, to people and meet them right where they are. So think about this. If you uh, have a friend that's struggling with the fact that they wouldn't want to ever become a Christian because Christians are bigots and hypocrites, you can share uh, John 3, 16 and 17. So we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Most people don't know John 3, 17, especially non-Christians, but it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you know that Jesus was not a bigot? That Jesus didn't come to, to condemn the world. He came to save the world. So you can share that part of God's story with them. Or, or maybe you're talking to someone and, and they say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I, I think I do some good things. I think I'll be okay in the end. You can say, you don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't earn it. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then look at Romans 3.24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or someone says, you know what, I like Jesus. I think he was a good teacher. I just don't believe all this stuff about him being the son of God. You can teach them John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So, you know, he didn't really give us the option to believe that he was just a good teacher. But we either believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life, or that he wasn't a very good person because he was leading people the wrong way. However you decide to share the gospel or the good news, I think you can see that words are going to be necessary. And um, although making disciples is hard, guys, it's hard. Making disciples is hard. And you'll get frustrated. And you'll feel like you're banging your head against the wall and you'll want to give up. But you can't. You can't give up. If you're a Christian, you need to tell people about Jesus. I just want to give you one reason why. There are 7,415,282,544 people in the world as of this week. And most of them are going to hell. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many many enter through it but small is the gate narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it guys a lot of our family and friends and people around us are facing eternal separation from God but don't let that scare you let it motivate you guys we need to be a church that's all about helping people find the narrow gate and the narrow road. Let's empty hell and fill up heaven. And if you're looking for something to give your life to, I can't think of anything more important than helping people find their way back to God. I mean, here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And how unloving would you have to be not to try to get as many people in as you can? 
unless someone preaches. And how will someone preach unless they've been sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Would you pray with me? God, it's a little overwhelming to be given the responsibility to help win people for you. But we're encouraged today by the fact that it's not our job to make people believe in you. That that's your job, that you do that work. It's just our job to be faithful to the call to go and make disciples. And so, Lord, help us when we're discouraged. Help us when we're frustrated. Help us when we're ready to give up. Lord, encourage us. Help us to see fruit in our efforts. Help us to see that we're making an eternal difference. And help us, for the sake of the entire world, God, help us to help people find their way back to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We're going to close with one more song. I would love if you're able, if you would stand and sing with us.
you have any questions, if you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be up here after the service. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you about whatever God's doing in your heart. Uh, next week, Paul Mumal will be here, our lead pastor. He'll be here to finish up this series. Uh, I'll be over at Noblesville. I'm taking this message over at our Noblesville campus. So don't go over there unless you really need to hear it again. But we hope to see you back here again next week, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.